0: We've been talking about uh, breaking cycles in our life and uh, looking at parts of our life that uh, frustrate us, that hurt us, that hurt the people around us, and parts of our lives where we look and say, I, I don't want this. I don't want this for myself. I don't want this for my family. I don't want it for people that I love, and uh, just looking and saying, how how do we break that? How do we make something different, and uh, how does God empower us and help us to, to do that? So, I've uh, been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, and I want to take you to a, like another phase of it this weekend. Uh, before I roll into that, though, I want us to just stop and pray. Um, we got about uh, 130, 140 men that are on a men's retreat, and uh, this men's retreat is uh, something we do every year, and we see God do a lot of powerful things on it and a lot of those powerful things are tied to these cycles and uh, and how God can just bring a totally different direction into something. And so they asked if we would pray for them. I think that's a great thing to ask for. And so uh, the Bible says that we're to do that. We pray for one another and so I, I want us to do that. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes and why don't you just like take a deep breath and say hello to Jesus. Maybe you haven't talked to him today and, and just... Uh, connect with him to start with Jesus thank you that we can come into a space like this and just be out of the of the grind for a minute and out of the rat race and so we can give attention to you and worship to you and even attention and affection to each other and we can be together and uh, thank you that you you encounter us. You say when your people gather together, you show up in a unique way, and so thank you. Thank you for that. God, we pray for these men who are on this retreat, and uh, God, uh, we know that you work in a, in a unique way in those settings. Uh, they have stepped away from the rat race, too, and are kind of giving their undivided attention, and so, God, I know that this weekend they're they're dealing with some pain in their lives, some lies that they've believed, some misunderstandings about who you are and what you're like, and it's a pretty intense time. And so, Father, I just pray that you open up their hearts and their minds and that you bring about the healing and, and the connection to you, that that Jesus, you and the gospel will make sense to them in a, in a deeper and, a, and in a more predominant way in their lives. So we, as our church family, we just surround our brothers in Christ and, and uh, ask on their behalf uh, that you work in a powerful way. God, do that here too. We're talking about some deep stuff and, and important things. And so uh, just show up in our hearts and our lives in a powerful way also and, uh, and draw us closer to you through it. So thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we've been uh, we've been talking about this idea of breaking the cycles and breaking these cycles of frustration and pain and sin and addiction and and whatever your cycle is, and just talking about how do we become someone different and where do we start with that and how do we embrace God in the middle of it? And we've leaned into these two phrases, and they're important phrases. Uh, we've said this: that your present is shaped by your past. And so that's important, if we're gonna deal with our cycles, we have to understand where they came from. God created us as a whole person. So literally, when God started to knit us together in our mother's womb, uh, we bring all of that forward with us, the good, the bad, the pain, the joy, and so we kinda have to admit, if we're gonna change something, especially something that's sinful or painful, or frustrating in our life, we have to admit that it comes from somewhere and it's shaping us. Not necessarily defining us, but it's shaping how we perceive the present. And why that's important is because of this, is because emotional health and spiritual health are connected. So I cannot be emotionally immature and spiritually mature in the same space and so I have to understand that God wove me together so those two things connect on some some levels and the way they connect primarily is this that when I go through life the good of life and the pain of life it informs how I translate relationships and my interaction with God is not a religious interaction it's not an academic interaction it's a relational interaction So how my relationships and how I perceive them are formed here is gonna inform how I perceive and understand and respond to God. So that's why we deal with this stuff in a setting like this is because we're a whole person and God wants to speak into that whole person. He wants to bring healing into that whole person and ultimately so that we can be the person that, that God has called us to be. So we've been talking about this, talking about it in some detail and in depth and the website, the podcast, the app, uh, if there was ever a series where you went back and kind of listened to it consecutively, this would be a great one because it kind of builds as we as we go through it. Now, this weekend, what I want to talk to you about is the idea of allowing pain to dislodge us from some of these patterns. And then we're going to talk about lies that we believe, we're going to talk about pathways that allow us to be free, we're going to talk about discovering kind of God's alternative story in your life, not just the ways that pain affects you, but how God worked and protected you through all of that. But I wanna, I wanna talk this weekend about how do we interact with pain and what does God want to do with it, and how he gives us some choices in the middle of it. So Jesus says something really important and really fascinating in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus's purpose, is to give people a rich and a satisfying life. And what Jesus is saying there is this. Jesus is saying that if you're going to understand pain and you're going to understand God and you're going to understand yourself, you have to understand that there's a spiritual conflict that is around you all the time. Other parts of the Bible would say things like, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces in the spiritual realm. Uh, There is a sin nature in us, and there is the new nature, if you're a follower of Christ, and those things war. And Jesus is talking about this. He's like, "There's, there's two forces, or people, you could say, that are contending for human beings. One of them is the thief, The thief is one of the names of the evil one or the devil. And the devil is contending for you. Humanity is the prize. And the devil has a purpose for humanity and his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything in your life that is sinful, everything in your life that's an addiction, everything in your life that's a wound, that's a pain, that's an abandonment, that's a frustration, is part of that process of Satan looking and saying, I hate you. The Bible says in another place that the devil prowls around like a lion and that he hates the people of God. And so he's like, I have this purpose and it's only to steal from you, to kill you and destroy you. The counter to that is Christ and Jesus says, I have a purpose for you. I wanna give you a rich life and a satisfying life, a spiritually rich life and a spiritually satisfying life. I want to heal you, help you, redeem you. I seek to save you. And Jesus is saying here in John 10.10, he's like, you have to understand that those two things are happening around you all the time. They're happening around you all the time. That there's the purpose of the evil one, and there's the purpose of Christ, and those things are warring in your life at all times. Now, here's what's fascinating about all this. What's fascinating is the Bible says that God gives us something theologians call it a free will. I'm just going to call it choice. God gives us a choice of which one of these purposes we want to engage. So I can go with the thief's purpose if I want. I can make decisions and put my life in places that steal, kill and destroy me, or... I can choose Christ's purpose. I can choose his purpose for the rich and for the satisfying life that he wants to give me, but I have a decision or I have a choice that I'm able to make in that battle that's going on. I can kind of pick the side that I am on. The reason why that's important is this. When we experience pain or frustration or sin, The Bible tells us that when we do that, that pain can feel like a prison. The Bible says we can be bound to sin or imprisoned to sin. That pain can paralyze us. We can look and say, I'm hurting so badly, I don't know what to do, how to do, or how to function. And that pain then can make us feel powerless. And we'll talk to each other that way. We'll say, well, because of my past, I am just kind of this way. Or I've been, I've been addicted for so long I cannot, there's no way that I can ever envision a life without an addiction. Uh, because of the abandonment of my father, that's why I struggle to be the father that God wants to me to be. And when I have pain in my life and trauma in my life, it feels like it imprisons me, it feels like it makes me powerless and it makes me feel like I am paralyzed and we will stop and kind of live in that pain, and we'll forget that we have a choice. Now this is what's fascinating. The whole idea that I have a free will, or I have a choice, is a foreign idea to most of us. We just figure we're the products of our environment. I'm just the product of my family. I just kind of am who I am, and I can't be anything else. But when you, Uh, allow or adopt the idea that I can have a choice, that choice changes how you interact with the pain in your life. When I was a kid, um, I had a tree house and I always was adding on to my tree house. It wound up being kind of like a tree city. And I just loved doing that. And my mom and dad let me do that because I was the youngest and I could do whatever I wanted. And so uh, my dad would have leftover boards or whatever from projects or sometimes he'd bring stuff home for me and I would build something with it. Well, whenever dad had leftover boards or like he brought something home for me to like build my treehouse on, very often, those boards had nails in them, right? Like old, rusty nails. So if you looked at my tree house, all around my treehouse, there was a bunch of old, rusty nails sticking up, and it just surrounded my tree house. Now for some of you who are younger parents, that's terrifying. For those of us raised in the 80s, that's just Saturday morning. That's the way that, that worked. And so I was surrounded by this stuff all the time. One day I was in my tree house, I jumped out of my tree house, and I landed on a framing nail, about like that. And that nail went through my foot, uh, up through my shoe, and into my foot, and it, and it actually went all the way through my foot, and it, and it nailed the board to my foot, right? So I, like a man, a 10-year-old man, screamed, <laughs> And I screamed, I was like, ah, you know, I got this board on my foot, I didn't know what to do. My tree house was way in the back of the yard. I was trying to get to the house, I had to crawl to the house and the board kept in the ground and moving and I'm screaming. And my mom opened the door and she goes, what's wrong? I said, there's a board in my foot, you gotta get out of my foot, you gotta get out of my foot, you gotta get out of my foot. And the first thing my mom said to me was so comforting. She said, don't get blood on the carpet. That was the first thing she said to me. <laughs> so she picked me up and she walked me through the carpet and she put me in the bathtub so that I wouldn't get blood on her, on her carpet. And I kept saying, get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. Well, I kept saying, get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. My mom would reach down to pull the board out and I would say, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. And then she would take her hands off and I'd go, get it out, get it out, get it out. And she'd barely touch it. I'd be like, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. And we did about three or four rounds of this and then my mom did something fascinating. Old Phyllis, she knew what to do. My mom looked at me and she said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to leave it in, or do you want me to take it out? And this was fascinating. When a choice was introduced, it changed my perspective on the circumstances. Suddenly, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't feel trapped, or paralyzed, or powerless. When my mom said, it's up to you, it, allowed, it changed the way I was reacting to my pain, and it changed the way that I kind of framed my pain. And I looked at her and I said, yank it out. And so she did, she yanked it out at my foot. And the blood started gushing, and my shoe filled up with blood, and my sock was filled up with blood, but mom had me in the bathtub, because Phyllis knows, and so I'm in the bathtub. And then if you're a child of the 80s, my mom got out something called uh, Methylade. Anybody remember Methylade? So Methylade, if you don't know what it is, it would be like alcohol with salt and razor blades. And (laughs) she just poured it into my foot, right, now, it worked, I still have my foot, right? There's something about a choice in pain that changes the way that we interact with pain and Jesus would look and say, this is a purpose, this is a purpose, what do you wanna do with it? What do you wanna do with it? And what I wanna show you is this. If you choose Jesus' purpose for your pain, I wanna show you the choices you can make to redeem your pain, to engage your pain, and to ultimately embrace this this rich and this satisfying life that Jesus wants to give you, okay? So that's what I'm gonna walk you through this weekend. Now to do that, we're gonna turn to a book of the Bible that Jesus' brother James wrote. So if you got a Bible, go to James chapter one. James chapter one is the chapter of the Bible, I quote the most to myself and I quote the most to other people. In James chapter 1, what, what James is doing is he's laying out God's perspective and how you can choose to engage it if you want to. So I'm going to show you four choices that you can make. Up to you, it's up to you, but in your pain... You can make these choices and these choices will break cycles in your life. It's a path to the freedom that, that you long for, okay? So James says this, James chapter one, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when, you, when troubles of any kind come your way, a trouble is anything from the trivial to the tragic, it's pain. When troubles come, uh, of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. And what James does is he lays out a pathway. He lays out a series of choices that we can make. These choices are given to us by God. They will empower us, they will free us, they will help us break the cycles. If we choose to make them, we'll engage the purpose of why Jesus came, okay? So what are the choices? Here's the first choice that I can make. When I am facing a trial of any kind, the first choice I can make is this, I can choose to redeem my pain. I can choose to redeem my pain. And this is what James is talking about when he says consider it an opportunity for great joy when that trial is in your life. Pain can define us or it can refine us. Pain can define us or it can refine us and the difference is in the consideration of the opportunity. Whether it defines us or whether it refines us, the difference is found in the consideration of the opportunity. I put this in the notes said this way, the issue is not the absence of pain. The issue is the perspective on pain. The issue that we struggle with is not the absence of pain. It's our perspective on pain. Now, how do you know that? Because you introduce pain into your life all the time, and you're glad that you do. And it's your perspective on it. Anybody who works out introduces pain into their life, and they're glad that they do it. Anybody who has an education, who has gone through academic rigor, has introduced pain into their life and you're glad that you do it. Anybody who's done an apprenticeship and learned a trade, who's been a grunt, has introduced pain into their life and they're glad that they do it. Anyone who has ever invested money for the future has introduced pain into their life and you're glad that you do it. Anybody who's ever caused themselves to be debt free has introduced pain into their life, and you're glad that you do it. Anybody who's ever had children has introduced pain that never goes away (laughs) into your life, and you would say it's the most meaningful part of your life. It's not the absence of pain, it's the perspective that we have on pain. So James comes in and he says, listen, he said, he's saying, when you experience a trial, here's a choice for you. You can consider it a joy if you want to. You can absolutely do that. You can choose to redeem it. That that trial is something that God is going to use. That trial is a way that God is gonna build you. That trial is gonna be an incredible part of who you are in your story. That trial may be a change agent. What caused you to hit rock bottom? is the very thing that can cause you to climb out of it, see? And it's all how you see it. And what James says, he doesn't say, cry out to God and you won't have problems. You're never gonna find that verse in the Bible and anybody tells you this they're lying to you. What he says is, when you face a trial, you can consider it a joy because God is accomplishing something powerful and different into your life, right? Now, that leads to the second choice. These all work together. They build off of each other. So James goes on in the passage. He says, listen, you can choose to redeem it, and then I've said it this way. The second choice we can make is this. I can choose to weave that pain into my story. I can choose to weave it into my story. This is what he says. He's like, when that starts happening and it's producing endurance, let it grow. Let it do its work, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That that, if you consider it a joy, instead of looking and saying, how do I get this pain away from me? I can let it do the work. I can let it dislodge the cycle. I can let it break the things in me that need to be broken. I can let it grow so that I can be mature and complete not lacking anything. Now, this is hard, because generally this is what happens when we think about pain. We think about pain, we have one of three reactions. One, generally, is we try to run from it. We try to run from it. And by the way, the people around you will tell you that all the time. They'll tell you to run from your pain. Uh, If you've had a loss, if you have a a trauma or a uh, a, a wound of grieving, People, they're well-intentioned, they love you, they're not being jerks, but they'll look at you and they'll say, uh, you know, you need to get your mind off of it. Just get your mind off of it. You need to keep yourself busy, you need to keep yourself busy, right? If you grew up with a traumatic childhood, uh, they'll say things like to you to like, well, you need to think positive, th- only think positive thoughts. Never have a negative thought. You only, you only should think positive thoughts. Uh, if, if you're dealing with an addiction your friends around you will tell you it's not as bad as you think it is. It's not as bad as you think it is. They're usually saying that because they're participating in the addiction with you. So it's not as bad as you think it is. And what happens with pain is we are taught to run from it, right? One of the most unhealthy things you can do in life is run from your pain. Running from pain is called denial and denial always leads to destruction. It's never your friend. It's only your enemy. And it fulfills the purpose of the evil one in your life. So we run from pain. The other big option that we, that we do with our pain is we live in it. We live in it and we let our pain define us. So the reason that you're overwhelmed by fear the reason that your anxiety is off the charts, the reason that your life is defined by bitterness, uh, the, the reason that you are battling an addiction is because you can, you've can you decided instead of dealing with the wound, you'll just numb it and make it go away. That's the source of all addictions. So you drink it away, you drug it away, you eat it away, you do whatever, whatever you do. See? And what happens is many times when we have pain, we will build an identity in that pain. I am a victim, I am an addict, I am this, I am that. The reason I can't, the reason God will never use me, the reason that I can never be what what God has called me to be, the reason that doesn't apply to me is because of this pain back here. So many times what we do with pain is we run from it unhealthy we live in it equally unhealthy and what James does he's like you know there is a third thing that you could choose if you want you could choose to weave it into your story the pain doesn't define you and you don't pretend it doesn't exist what you do is you say this is this is a part of who I am and, and I realized that God has allowed this pain to be a part of my life so that he can use my life in a way that I would have never been able to be used uh, if not for the pain. I think the greatest pain that you can under, uh, ever undergo as a human being is the loss of a child, hands down. Uh, the greatest pain that a human being can endure is the loss of a child. So my mom and dad, who are cycle breakers, Um, lost a child. So my brother, Doug, was killed when he was eight years old in a car accident. And that marked my parents, right? So my mom and dad grew up at Dysfunction Junction, came to Christ, they're trying to walk with Jesus. It wasn't rainbows and unicorns, it was a funeral. And they go through the loss of a child. I am the replacement son, So I'm the baby of my family. That's why people, my brother is so much older than I am, right? Because I'm the replacement son. So I grew up, I never knew my brother Doug. I knew about him. Now this is funny. Somebody asked me uh, one time, they said, when did you find out that you had a brother who was killed? And I said to them, I think I always knew. It was never a secret. It was never a secret that my mom and dad had gone through that incredible pain and it was never a secret that I was the replacement child. They didn't run from it, they didn't pretend that that didn't happen and they didn't live in it. The family didn't stop because we had a tragic loss. It became their story. So if you lost a child, my mom and dad would be the first two people by your side. When you went through unspeakable pain in your life that you didn't know what to do with, my mom and dad would be the first two people by your side. It became, in in Christian circles, we say testimony. It became their story. It wasn't the whole of their story. It wasn't the end of their story. And they didn't pretend it wasn't their story. They wove it into their story because they looked and they trusted Jesus and they considered it a joy. They're like, okay, God has given us something. We want to redeem this and this is now a part of who we are and a part of the narrative that God has written for our lives, okay? Now, it's a choice. They didn't have to weave it into their story. They could have run away from it. They didn't have to weave it in their story. They could have stopped living when it happened. But they found out there's another decision that they could make and they could embrace. And it's up to them whether they wanted to embrace it or not. And mom and dad chose, they chose to redeem it and they chose to weave it into their story. that goes directly here to the third thing. The third choice is this. When I'm in pain, I, I can choose to ask what instead of why. I can choose to ask what instead of why, right? And what James says, he says it this way. He's like, if you need it, wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And when I'm in pain, I can choose to ask what Instead of why. I love this quote. Someone said, I often do not understand God, but I choose to trust him. I choose to trust him. Now, let me just talk to you about this for a minute, right? Everybody with me? Look in. Right, here we go. If you ask me why, why did I grow up in a horrible home? Why was I the abuse victim? Uh, Why did my dad walk out on me? Why did my kid rebel? Why did God answer their prayer but not my prayer? If you ask me why, if you want me to be completely honest with you, here's the completely honest answer. you ready? I don't know. I don't know. God doesn't tell us. So God's out of control? No, God knows why. I don't know why. You will know why one day. If you said, why did your brother die? I don't know why. And if you gave a dumb answer, well, so you would be born. My mother would punch you in the face. Because that's ridiculous. She didn't know why. Dad didn't know why. What they decided is to ask what? Because God doesn't often tell us why, but he does tell us what. They decided to trust that Doug was in heaven. One of the very last things my father ever said to me was I can't wait to see your brother. 50 years later, He misses his son. But he believes he's in heaven. And he was, and he is. So even in my father's deathbed, the what? Now my father's with the Lord, with my mother, and with my brother. They know why now. I don't know why. But they know why. And on this side of heaven... I have to live in the what, not the why. The Bible tells me that I can use my pain to comfort other people in pain. Well, why do I have to go through it to comfort it? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why God gave me that assignment, why God gave you that assignment. I just know that he did, and I know what to do with it. The Bible says that my story can help other people discover their story. I'm I'm sure when my mom and dad went to other people's funerals, they come in and, and those other parents are asking the exact same questions. And my mom and dad over time started to live a story because they wove it into their story. And so now they help other people know how to weave it into theirs. Well, why did they have to have that responsibility? I don't know. They don't know but they just re- recognized that God had given it to them. I use my story to lead other people to Christ. Well, why do I have to have all the pain to relate to other people with all the pain? Why can't I have the happy life instead of the miserable one? I don't have an answer for you. Why, why do I have to be the girl with cancer that has now a platform to speak because of the pain? I don't have an answer for you, I don't. Not a why but I can tell you a what, see. and it's a choice. It's a choice that you can make, and I can tell you this, in my experience, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I know I look young and I'm sexy, I know, right? But I've been at this a long time, so this is my experience. I've been in unbelievable circumstances, unbelievable pain. This is what I've observed, ready? I've observed that people who build a home in the why suffer in the questions because they're unanswerable. They don't deny the questions. You don't have to deny the question, you don't pretend, you don't run from the questions. You just realize I'm actually not gonna get an answer and people who build a home in the why, who demand an answer that they cannot get and they wouldn't understand if it was given to them, they suffer, they stay, they're trapped, they're in prison, they're powerless. Ready? People who build a home in the what? What does God want me to do? What do how does God want me to respond? They find healing and purpose and even joy It's not denial, it's patience. My mom and dad were not in denial. It didn't go away. Everybody knew that in a certain time in the month of December, you left mom alone because that was the day Doug died. Everybody knew that in my house. Everybody knew that Christmas was a mixed bag for mom and dad because when Doug died, all of his Christmas presents were in the trunk of the car. And he died, and a few days later, they're celebrating Christmas, he's not there. Everybody knew that. It's not denial. It's not running from it. We also didn't cancel Christmas. It's not living in it. It's choosing to build a home in the what will God do through this, and being patient for the why to be answered. And it's up to you. I find that when people get trapped in the why, that their joy and their hope are stolen, that their relationships are killed, and that the vision and the purpose of their life is destroyed. When people build their home in the what, and they choose to redeem and they weave the story, I find that they find a richness and the ability to redeem the pain, and they find a satisfaction that until I understand fully what God's doing, I I have a satisfaction that he's using me in the meantime. And it's a choice. It's a choice that we're kind of free to make with God. Now here's the fourth one. The fourth choice is this. I have to choose the voices I'm going to listen to. I choose the voices I'm going to listen to. So James kind of says it this way. He says, you have this opportunity for joy. God's doing something. Let it grow and complete itself. God God is going to work through that when you don't have wisdom. You're not sure what to do. Ask him. He'll start to show you what to do. And then he says this. He says, but when you ask him, Be sure that your faith is in God alone. And then here he says, if your faith isn't in God alone, you're like a person who's blown and tossed by the wind, by the waves of the seas. You're just a boat without a sail or a motor or a rudder, just being blown around and battered by the storms of life. He said, a person who doesn't trust in God alone, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. It's how he describes them. And when I am dealing with pain and I'm trying to break these cycles in my life and I want to embrace, I have to choose that I am going to listen to Christ. I'm going to listen to Christ and I'm going to put my trust in Christ. Because when you go to break a cycle, when you go to break a cycle, there's all kinds of voices that come into your life. There's voices that come into your life and they're gonna say all you need is willpower. If you just got your act together and you just tried hard enough, has that worked? Has that worked? There's others who are gonna come in and they're gonna say what you need, you just, just go with bitterness. Let's all sit around and just talk about what a jerk mom is and what she did to us. What a jerk our roommate is, what a jerk our ex is. And you fill your life with bitterness. There's other voices that are going to come around. They're going to speak victimhood into you. Uh, the, the reason why you can never is because of what happened in your childhood. You can never be free. You can never amount. And, and you're, they're going to speak that victim. You're, you're just a victim. That's all you are, poor guy. You should just stay in your basement and be scared of everything the rest of your life. That's just who you are. They're going to speak victimhood into your life. Christ is going to come in, and he's going to speak a different thing. Because remember, the purpose of the evil one is to steal, kill, destroy. Willpower, victimhood, all, all it does is steal life from you. All it does is kill hope in you. All it does is destroy a future for you. But those are the predominant voices that are in our culture today. They're going to scream at you all the time. They're going, to, they're going to look at you and say, unless God answers the why question right now, he doesn't love you. Unless God makes your pain go away, he doesn't love you. Unless God, you know, God, God, he, if you get your act together, God will make your life go smoothly. He'll prosper you. Your kids will turn out great. Your family will be healed. All your problems will go away. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. And all, all that happens when we listen to those other voices is we become disillusioned, we, come bit, we become bitter, and we, we move further away from God. And the very purpose of the evil one starts to play out because we went that direction. Or, or I can trust the purpose of Christ. And I have to trust it. Because what Christ speaks into our life is redemption. What Christ speaks into our life is is vision, healing, forgiveness, change, compassion, maturity, completeness. That's his purpose. And so I have these two competing voices. These two competing voices. And the reason why this is hard, because I think this is the hardest choice to make in the whole thing. The reason why it's hard is because the voice and the purpose and the direction of Jesus is new to me. And the voice of myself and those who speak bitterness and hatred is familiar to me. And if I want to go a different direction in my life, I got to go someplace I've never gone before. We took our family down to the beach and, uh, well, some of them, Heidi and like some of the kids went to the beach, all of us pale people, we stayed in the condo and played video games. But we we were at a beach and we went down to this beach in Florida and this beach has riptides. You know what riptides are? So they come in and they pull you out to the open ocean. And so they had this flag system with the riptides. Like green was like, you're good to go. And like red was like, it's going to pull you out and Jaws is going to eat you, like kind of a thing. And so this flag system. So I'm, I'm looking at this because I don't really like water that much. And so I'm reading this trying to figure out what this is. And it was fascinating. This is what it said. This said, watch out for riptides. And then it said, if you get caught in one... Don't try to swim back to the beach. And it's funny, that's your instinct. Because that's what you would do in any other water situation if you were in a pool and you got out into the middle of it and you felt like you were in danger, you would try to swim back to where you jumped in. If you were in a pond and you jumped off a dock and you, were, you felt like you were gonna drown or be in a water situation, you would swim back to the dock that you jumped off of. But when you're in the ocean and you're a riptide, if you try to swim back, all that happens is the tide pulls you out further and you exhaust yourself in trying to get back And When you're making choices to break cycles, choosing the voice you listen to is the hardest part because when you're in pain, what you tend to listen to is whatever you've always listened to. When I'm in pain, if I just drink it, drug it, eat it away, my pain goes away for a minute. When I'm in pain, if I just join in on everybody else's bitterness, my pain goes away for a minute. When, when I'm in pain and I learn not to trust every, anybody because they abused me or neglected me, so I trust myself, it feels like the natural thing to do. But all that happens is you get further and further away from Jesus's purpose in your life and you're exhausted. So what the sign said to do It said, if you get caught in a riptide, you don't try to swim back to the beach. It said, what you do is you swim sideways. You go against your instinct, and you go into water that you've never been in before. And it breaks the tide. It breaks the cycle, because I got outside of the cycle. See? And what James is saying is, you got choices, and here's a path to freedom. And God gives you all of this. And you, it's up to you if you want to take them or not. But if you say, I want to take it, take it. Because if you swim in and out of that riptide, you're just gonna drown slower. But if you want to be free from its grip, God will give you that wisdom. He will give you that power. He he will empower you through his Holy Spirit. He will surround you with his people. He'll give you the wisdom of his word. But it's going to be a direction you've never swam before. And if you're just in and out, you should never think, if if you just take your cycle and add some Jesus to it, all you've done is put Jesus in a cycle that's going to steal, kill, and destroy you. And then look and say, Jesus, I thought, but if I choose a different purpose, and it's gonna have a different path, I'm redeeming pain, I'm not bitter about pain. I'm considering it as a joy. I'm, I'm embracing a story, I'm not running from it, I'm not living in it, I'm embracing it. This is, this is a part of how God has crafted my life. I'm long suffering, I'm patient in my suffering. I know I will not know why but I trust the heart of God enough to live in the what. And one day he'll explain the why to me. And when all of the people around you and the cultural things around you, and the worst one is yourself, tell you it won't work, I gotta give up, this is how I survive, this is what I do, this is how I get by. Choosing to say no, I'm, I'm going to listen to Christ. I'm choosing to swim sideways even though it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But if he says that's the path to freedom, then that's the purpose that I'm going to engage and go after, right? And James is saying when you do that, you get a different outcome. When you do that and like trust that, I didn't say you get a quick outcome. I didn't say you would never be in pain again but you'll get a different outcome. You're going to a different place. And it's choices you can make to break the cycles, see? Because you're following the path that Christ has set out and embracing the purpose that he has for you, right? Okay. I'm gonna ask the band to come out and... um, They'll rearrange the stage here. Would, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I'd like us just to spend a minute. So we have about 12 minutes left in our service, and I, I really encourage you just to take advantage of it. Be still, right? We don't, we don't get a lot of time to think and contemplate and even give attention to God. So literally, like, take a deep breath, <laughs> And I just want us to pray a little bit. So I just want to guide that prayer. So I would encourage you first to pray and ask the Holy Spirit just to bring one cycle to your mind. This is the one that God has for you. It's an addiction, it's a, it's materialism, it's defeat, sexual stuff, whatever it is. It, bring anger, one cycle to your mind that you struggle with in a unique way. And as you have that cycle, then at kind of the front of your mind, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you the choices you have. In Christ, you're not a prisoner to sin. You're not in bondage to your past. Death and sin have been defeated on the cross, so you have choices. And so ask the Holy Spirit to start to help you see where you've made the wrong choice or maybe you're living in it, and then the choices that he would want you to to start to embrace what he wants to give you. And Jesus, as we start to see those choices, you say that you help us. Your Holy Spirit is our helper. You walk with us as a friend, as a brother, and you give us a power. It's it's your power that defeated sin and death, and that same power is alive in us through your Spirit. And so would you start to help us to see that this is this is not willpower. This is not positive thinking. This is literally bringing your word into our life, and you bringing it alive in us. And these choices are hard, Jesus. But you're our model. You made hard choices. You resisted temptation. You decided to go to the cross. You decided to finish the work there. You decided to humble yourself and come to us. And the same power that raised you from the dead is alive in us because of your spirit. And so, God, would you start to help us see a victory? Start to help us see a path? Start to help us to see an alternative? And, God, would you kind of put as a vision in our lives this rich and satisfying life, this free life, forgiven life, redeemed life, changed life? born-again life that you've invited us into.